Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today with us, I will be interviewing um, congressional candidate for California's 32nd district, Emmanuel Gonzalez. Is that how you pronounce your name? I always want to make sure so I don't say it wrong. Yes, uh, Emmanuel Gonzalez. That's correct. Emmanuel Gonzalez. All right, perfect. Um, he is running against, uh, I forgot how many was all knows the incumbent currently. It's Grace Napolitano, and I probably butchered that as well, but it's all right. Um, I said a few questions to ask him, but first, before we get into anything, um, Emmanuel, introduce yourself to us and tell us why you're running. Hi, right, so uh, thank you for having me on your uh, podcast here. Uh, my name is Emmanuel Gonzalez. I'm currently running for U.S. Congress here in California 32. Uh, many of the reasons why I'm running is because uh, among them, I believe it's time that our community has a person representing them that actually grew up in the district, that has made a difference in the district, who has contributed to the district, and also who currently lives in the district today. Um, I just think that now uh, people in the community deserve to have a champion for health care, for immigration reform, and for other social issues, um, who has actually who's been uh, a product of the public schools here and has grown up uh, among the neighbors in the local community. And that's why, that's why I'm running for Congress. That's great. And so you're saying you think it's time that they you know, deserve a representative that you know, lives there, that's grown up there. Um, so Grace has not lived, does not live there currently and has not grown up there. Tell us why she isn't a good representative right now. Well, uh, so uh, for, the, for the start, she lives in Norwalk, from what I understand. Oh, wow. Um, that's on her uh, information. The other thing is that we rarely see her in the area, and she usually has local officials, such as mayors and other uh, representatives in the community, handle her town halls. Um, oh, wow. It's been kind of interesting to see that, like, the mayor of El Monte is giving a town hall about immigration and things like that. Well, she's there, she's sitting there, but he's doing the whole thing. And the question now becomes is who is our representative? Is it the mayor or is it Grace? And um, so, yeah, she doesn't live in our district. She's actually from, if I, if I recall, she's from Texas. And uh, just to, I got a text message earlier in the year, well, January, actually this month, uh, time's going by so fast. And people sent me a bunch of messages because they got a, an email from her office. And it was the first time in like well over a year and a half or a year that they uh, are receiving an email. And it happened to be about the Iran strike or the, the strike in Iraq that killed the Iranian general. Mm -hmm. And that was the first email that they got in over a year from her office. And they're all subscribed to her. And I think that has to change. There have been a lot of very important issues going on in D.C. and all over the world. And after a year of silence, now we hear from her now that it's time for re-election. And it just so happens this was an airstrike that occurred and killed a general. And now mm -hmm. she wants to start getting involved. Um, I think that we need a representative that's going to be involved on not just issues of uh, foreign policy or maybe something they didn't like about the president, but also on issues such as abortion. Uh, such as healthcare reform, things like that. And for her to be silent and not give people uh, an update after over a year, and she wants to talk about this and sign a petition, and she says she's real, being, running for re-election, uh, I think it's just a bad taste. Yeah, it's time uh, for a new representative. 
Yeah, um, I can. It's, it's actually funny. Uh, the past two podcasts I've done um, with congressional candidates yesterday and mm-hmm. two days before that, um, they said the exact same thing about their, like, it's really interesting to see the same reason people are running. Um, it's because mm-hmm. it's an actual issue that they're saying we need a representative, not just someone in Washington. We need someone who knows yeah. us, someone that knows the issues that actually are at mm-hmm. home. Because if you're, yeah. that's the whole thing of representatives is to represent us in Congress. And so if you're not doing that, then you're not fulfilling your job as representative. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, just to bring up one more thing, and I'll uh, move on from there, but we were actually canvassing last weekend. And this lady, I approached her in her car as she was leaving. One of the, I organized for, I'm a healthcare worker, so I've been organizing my coworkers to organize them to form mm-hmm. a union. But now I decided to run for office. And one of the things is that when people are about to drive off, you want to at least catch them and give them a flyer. Yeah. So I managed to get her the flyer and she asked me, why don't you uh, mail these out to everybody like everyone else? Why are you going door to door? And I said, well, it's because I want to be able to talk to you and have a conversation here about some of yeah, the issues. Exactly. And uh, she, you know, it kind of made us both laugh because it just goes to show the, the political climate in our area where representatives, they don't go out and talk to anybody. They maybe give a speech, they run off, but they really do this like mail campaign that really gets them their re- name recognition. And we want to change that. We want people to get involved in the political process and also with helping us even creating legislation. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Because as long as, I mean, we all know how usually local politics and stuff works. Um, It's all about name recognition. And so all all they they have to do is, you know, they remember their last name. Like here, it's like Grace, Mm -hmm. now Palantino, whatever. They're going to see that on the ballot and they're going to say, oh, I know her. I saw her in a flyer or whatever. They're going to put her on there. Um, But once they start realizing people will actually care who are running, that's when things can change, I feel like. I feel like that's yeah. awesome. Um, so you're talking about this with the incumbent. How can you win against an incumbent? What is your strategy to do that? Well, that's actually a really good question, uh, considering that the amount of money we raise and the, uh, I guess you can say, the like establishments that yeah. um, you know she has locked in, uh, it's been very difficult. I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to lie to anybody about that. I mean, anybody would know that, that either is familiar with politics or works in politics, know this is very difficult. But one of the things that, one of our strategies is simply going door to door and talking to communities that have been, for the most part, left behind. Um, We've experienced a lot of that in La Puente, especially unincorporated areas, where the, even the city government has kind of left them behind and we want to make sure that uh, not only that that their their voices are heard, but that there's a rep, there's someone out there that wants to represent them at the federal level, and that can also help facilitate better change, better improvements to the community uh, at the local level. And I think that all levels of government really need to start working on that. And I see that especially in our communities are heavily um, there's a heavy industry within uh, the space uh, the space uh, programs. There are people that build things for JPL out here in Almani. We have a lot of food uh, distribution out here in La Puente and the city of industry. Um, and that's been one of our strategies is simply going to where people uh, going to their homes. Uh, social media has been uh, one area where we've been kind of uh, experimenting with different ads, yeah. as well as also too, uh, we're working on uh, community engagement at local parks, things like that. Um, we do have some, th- things in terms of when it comes to voter registration 
or we have those people, their addresses, and we've been targeting them as well. But for the most part, we want to really address uh, the needs of the people that have kind of kind of been swept under the rug over the years. So yeah. one, what it really, it's just a grassroots um, campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really a blessing to be working with so many people in the community, but that's been our approach and our, and our, um, and our strategy at the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, I was watching a documentary the other day. It was about some Congress, uh, con- well, people running for Congress um and AOC was one of them and it showed from her from the beginning to the end on how she won and she's like she was not someone big in the eye she worked at this like this little small bar or whatever or yeah she you know and the person she was up against was the fourth most powerful democrat in the entire country um yeah and so like it was almost like okay she'd have to run multiple times you thought but on the, her yeah. very first run just from grassroots support going door to door she one and just from that grassroots support and it really shows um that and, you know after like donald trump when it really showed people that you don't have to be some kind of po- career politician or anything like that to win the election yeah. and so you really don't need to have you know, be an establishment candidate or something you can you know be a progressive be this like it doesn't matter uh, as long yeah. as you get the support of the people behind you that's that's all you need um yeah so on your website, you have around 16 issues. I'm going to go over some of the main ones and ask okay. you about them. Um, uh-huh. So we're, we're going to start off the first one with veterans. You said in the United States, we cherish and are forever grateful for the men and women in uniform who serve. Many have made great sacrifices when training or deployed overseas, and some have made the ultimate sacrifice. Our veterans deserve more, including better resources to begin a new life as civilians. So what do you want more for veterans? What do you think they deserve to have? So I think that there's a lot of major issues with, vet- the, with Veterans Affairs, uh, and that's a good question, um, especially how you quoted uh, my website. And, um, and, and I think the main thing that we have to look at is, uh, I would say there are three major issues. One is, uh, is uh, when veterans are, be- or I should say when active duty personnel are being are ready to be dis- uh, honorably discharged and uh, convert into civilian life. So that first point uh, that I'll make is that um, a lot of our veterans are not, um, or I should say a lot of active service members may not be properly equipped to enter civilian life. It is much different from, uh, you know, military life, especially when a lot of these um, service members entered the military when they were 17, 18. And, you know, all they know really is, is uh, the way of the military. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, um, but there has there are major adjustments to be made once they enter civilian life. Yeah. So uh, with that, there there needs to be a better uh, a better transition period. It's not just a you know signing off the form and then there's like a uh, maybe a couple classes. I'm not I ha- I'd have to recall the the discharge uh, process, but I think that uh, for some veterans that maybe are some active members that don't feel comfortable we should have maybe a transitionary period for uh, a number of maybe two months. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it gets them ready for civilian life instead of just like throwing them out and just saying, okay, you guys are no longer, you know, on active duty. You are in the reserves and, you know, I guess good luck. No, yeah. I think we need to have better financial planning. We need to ensure that they have uh, adequate housing, of course, healthcare, things like that. So that's like one of the major issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, yeah. Um, um, you know, it's, it's just basic, basic, uh, 
you know, just being able to, to live a life no longer in, in, in the service um, needs to be a priority for active or for our leadership so that the active duty members are ready for civilian life. Um, the other thing is uh, GI Bill reform. Uh, I've talked about this numerous times while canvassing, and I've even talked to a lot of uh, more conservative uh, and my Republican friends on the other side who would also agree with me that the GI Bill currently, the forever GI Bill was flawed, and I can't believe that uh, congressional Democrats supported it. And the reason being is because, yes, it made that the GI Bill was, you know, be able to be utilized for a lifetime. It helped veterans with that, but it did take away some funding and some money uh, per uh, for each veteran uh, for their housing expenses. And if we all know across the country, especially here in California, um, housing can be a very stressful issue, especially being that it's so expensive. And I think that cutting housing benefits for GI Bill recipients was a big mistake uh, for both sides of the aisle. And I think that if we want to make uh, if we want to improve the mental health of our veterans, if we want to ensure that they uh, receive a quality education in our public school system or in the private school uh, system and the universities, then I think that we need to ensure that they and their families have uh, adequate housing and don't have to worry about, you know, how are, where are they going to get extra money for the rent? Um, you know, when, when they went to serve, you know, they didn't put restrictions on their service. They went and served 110%. And when they come back, we as leaders and we as uh, people here in the United States shouldn't put any restrictions on their benefits when they come back. And um, that's one of the things I'd like to see changed is a GI Bill, real GI Bill reform that ensures the uh, adequate housing, health care for all uh, our veterans and their families, as well as a a stipend for them while they get an education. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I've always thought I was like, okay, so you might not believe in like Medicare for all this for all mm -hmm. like free money and all this. I'm like, mm -hmm. but if you go out and serve our country and put your life on the line for our country, you deserve mm -hmm. that you at the very least you deserve that. Um, I, yeah. I've always said that's at least the right. I'm like, okay, we can't like Republican or Democrat. This is not about like, like party or whatever. This is no. If you put your life on the line to serve us and we didn't, and like, yeah, you absolutely deserve to have rights as being able to make sure you can go to the doctor if you're sick or something. Yeah. Because we made sure, I mean, your country's safe. Um, that's honestly what I've always thought as well. Absolutely. But on the same line as veterans, you transitioned that into marijuana. You said that many veterans have told you that they have found faith in the use of cannabis to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, yeah. depression, chronic illness, and pain and other issues that arise from combat deployment. Veterans should have access to cannabis and it should be legal throughout the United States. So tell me, so number one, just to clarify, do you, so do you uh, want to make it legal for everyone or just veterans? So I want to make it legal for everyone, and this is the reason why. So we currently have a bill. Well, no, actually, no. The bill was passed, I believe, a number of years ago, which gave um, VA doctors the authority and the ability to recommend the use of marijuana and cannabis for people uh, seeking alternative methods of uh, medicine. And that could be CBD oil. That could be actual marijuana use by smoking it. It can be with uh, edibles, various you know, forms of cannabis, it's, it gives them the authority to uh, recommend it 
for the for medicinal use or even recreational use. But the problem is, is that all over the in the United States, there's still a ban on it at the federal level. So we have to get rid of that ban in order for the doctors to be effective in giving uh, orders or uh, prescribing or recommending the use of marijuana. So in that case, it's going to be all across the board. And I and I believe uh, what Bernie Sanders has been saying about uh, legalizing marijuana and expunging, uh, you know, criminal cases. Let's get them. Let's get them on the road to a better future. Let's just you know expunge the uh, those criminal convictions. But also, I would go a step further. And for our veterans, we need to place marijuana dispensaries and uh, inside VA hospitals and clinics. That way, they have a safe and a dependable way of receiving and getting marijuana for them to use. But I have seen, and I, I'm a healthcare professional, I work in, I specialize in kidney dialysis. So I work, you know, 60, 72 hours in in-center clinics every week. And the use of marijuana has helped so many people, both veterans and regular civilians, uh, in their PTSD, with depression, and also too, some patients don't have an appetite and that can affect their albumin levels. And we wanna make sure that everybody Instead of taking just pills, they can utilize marijuana or CBD oil, and it's been beneficial for them. So mm -hmm. in that, to answer your question, it would be all across for everyone. But in order to serve the veterans specifically, we have to make, we have to make it legal across the board. And then, we can, then the laws that have already been passed can be now they can be practiced in the VA hospitals and clinics. Yeah. Uh, do you support legalizing marijuana or all drugs? Uh, at this point in time, it's just going to be marijuana, but I am open to, I've read research about other, uh, other, uh, I would, I guess you would call them drugs, like, uh, like, uh, mushrooms, mm -hmm. uh, other native American remedies as well that have, that are considered drugs. Uh, there have been in research and studies, there has been, uh, significant improvements with people's mental health, but I don't think we're there yet. So we would probably need to obviously uh, research this a bit more, but I am definitely open to finding uh, other alternatives for combating mental health and for improving the lives of people across our country. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to depend on opioids. Uh, yeah. you know, that, was, that was a complete disaster. And I just, uh, I think marijuana is a really good start to helping people uh, overcome some of their uh, medical challenges. Yeah, um, I can, I definitely like the research of it. I mean, we've, mm -hmm. everyone, I mean, if you could just go to someone, especially the older crowd, and you were like talking about like legalizing marijuana, they would think like, oh, some people, mm -hmm. like, unless people are using it, you know, they're mm -hmm. going to usually be like, what? Like, no, that's, we're not going to legalize that. But like, you yeah. have to look really the the facts, the research, and there really is a lot of stuff in there that's like, okay, we're harming more people right now by keeping it um, illegal. No matter what your opinion is of the drug, we're harming more people currently with it being illegal. Um, and that's just mm -hmm. true, honestly. We're getting more people, you know, it's putting people who are like in trial or on trial or arrested. Mm -hmm. It's it's just not, it's terrible. Um, and so yeah, yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, so moving on to immigration, you mm -hmm. said that you believe in true immigration reform and not just talking points. One thing you understand is no person wishes to leave their home in their nation of origin, but countless parents make a treacherous trip to seek refuge and asylum to give their children a shot at a bright future. Today, there are many dreamers, people who only know the United States as home, 
but do not have legal status here. Uh, it says Emmanuel has, you have many great, many friends who are currently dreamers. These individuals are educated, motivated, and have made an impact in, in your life and in their own communities. Except for their legal status, they are truly American. Many of these dreamers have no recollection, recollection of their birthplace, nor do they speak their parents' native language. Um, you said that you're going to, you would create a pathway to citizens for all dreamers, increase the number of immigration judges and officers to clear the backlog as a case list of cases and respect and follow asylum laws. So, uh, what exactly, what kind of immigration plan would you pass, you know, specific, do you believe in stronger borders, lighter, open borders? Uh, what do you believe in? Okay. So. For, for starters in California, we have, we do have a lot of what we call, you know, the, the dreamers. And these are individuals who uh, were brought here at a very young age where they don't have, and they don't have some of many of like I, like I stated in the, like in your quote from my website, they don't even know their native language. They have become their full on Americans. Uh, it's the only system they know. And I even have friends, uh, a friend that is stateless. They have no, um, they have no real, home really i mean they have no allegiance to any country and it's their status um when it comes to immigration um i i I mean i do believe in immigrate uh rules in terms of immigration yeah we we have to vet people but uh there needs to be a better program where uh, we can get people uh, that want to come to our country and they want to work and earn an honest living and we should make it much more easier for them uh, we should uh, definitely uh, have uh, stronger education programs for immigrants that want to come here, people from other countries. Um, just like in other countries all over the world, like such as in Europe, you know, they have, uh, they have resources for people that want to come to their nation and then they educate them, they get them uh, in a way assimilated, you know, to the, the, the culture. It is it, anywhere you go, it's going to be different. And I think we need to make that investment. Uh, we should also, uh, I don't believe in building a wall. I think it's a waste of money. Um, I don't think we need to really have all this crazy, uh, you know, these, I, I guess, the wall and some of these crazy border uh, ideas. But I think that there needs to be some kind of cooperation between nations where if people want to work, they can freely go across the border. It's not so much open borders, but it's just simple cooperation between nations. And also, too, I mean, if we really want to solve the border crisis, this is going into the area of foreign policy, then the United States needs to look at its uh, economic uh, policy and foreign policy abroad and how it's destroying local communities in, in, the, in Latin America and other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I, I mean, uh, when we're talking about border security, I think it's, it's more than just, you know, between California and Mexico or Texas and Mexico and Arizona. You know, it's a, this is a whole this is a whole issue stemming from U.S. foreign policy to uh, to people wanting to leave their homes to come, and the only place they can think of is the United States. You know, the shining city on the hill, as some people have put it, and that's the only place they can think of of getting a new start. So, if we really want good immigration reform, we need to start with our economic and foreign policy abroad, and we need to make it more encouraging. Uh, and we need to stop destabilizing governments and things like that. But when yeah. it does come to when it does come to actually people coming in uh, to want to live in our country, then I'm all for that. Uh, yeah, I think there needs to be a better process. But at the current time, uh, you know, I think we can have better education for people that want to come to this country 
and make it easier for them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, I was honestly very disturbed. You're talking about, you know, educating them and stuff. And me, I was disturbed whenever I heard the other day, or um, another day, I mean, it was like months ago, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but whenever ICE made, set up a fake college uh, and they got yeah. illegal immigrants to sign up for this college, meaning like, you know, these immigrants were trying to go get an education at college yeah. and they mm -hmm. trapped them there and, and deported them. That was sick to mm -hmm. me. That the fact that, yeah. that that they're not going after the actual people that are like they're doing bad things they're going after the people mm -hmm. who who want to get an education and actually do good for our economy and country i think that that's terrible <laughs> like yeah. I, I, it was just crazy to me yeah i agree and you know there's actually a local hotel here there was a girl that was uh she was working at the hotel here in west covina and she didn't update her daca information uh she was also scared that she was going to be uh, rounded up and deported because of, you know, updating the information. There was that whole scare issue when uh, under the Trump administration and ICE actually went to her work. She was earning an honest living, trying to support her family, going, trying to go to school. And they rounded her up and took her. And that was the last we heard about her. Uh, I haven't received any info about that, but, you know, they're, they're targeting the wrong people. And quite frankly, for those that are, what we call the dreamers, the, the simple solution would be, let's just give them citizenship. Let's get, let's get them going. Let's, they don't need to live in fear anymore or with any anxiety. Yeah. And if like, simple as that. And if they fail the process, then we can deport them if they're not willing to make the change. Like if they're not willing to make the change to be part of our country and they're, mm -hmm. you know, just not like, if I say, yeah, like you said, we give them a path of citizenship if we if they're in our country, and if they don't comply with that, then we're gonna we have to have. I mean, there's there's rules and there's things you have to go through. So I mean, if they yeah. don't comply, then obviously, I would. I mean, we would have to because you can't just mm -hmm. like criminals be in our country. Um, like no, not at all. So yeah, I, I I agree with that. You know, we need to let them. We need to give them an option at least instead of just telling yeah. them. Because you know. like you said, the dreamers are they don't even know where their birthplace is. Like it's this is not. Like, yeah, this, this is the, what they know is their birthplace. You know, they may have not been birthed here, but this is where they grew up. Uh, a lot of them too have also contributed to our communities. They've done a lot of community service, obviously. I mean, I mean, they're just like you and I, they're just, I mean, to even have the conversation like where we're trying to like, you know, they're just like me and no, they, they are me. They, you know, I'm with them. And uh, a lot of them, I went to school with them for, since I was in, you know, first grade and, you know, the, the, the amazing part about it is that I had no idea, a lot of my friends, that this is some of the stuff that their families were going through. I had no idea. And as I got older and I got close, you know, they opened up to me about this. And, and uh, you know, they explained that, you know, my family, they came from Mexico or they came from El Salvador. And I even have some coworkers that they made the, they made the difficult journey coming here. And one thing that I learned, um, and this was actually too from a, a Syrian refugee here. I was buying a, I bought my first car a number of years ago. You know, the one thing I learned was that people don't just pick up, just they don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I want to move to the United States because of all the stuff that they have. And no, they don't. I mean, they have to leave their families, they have to leave their homes, their livelihood. There has to be something, you know, really significant for them to want to pick up and leave after living there all their lives and to come to a place they've never been to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, yeah, we hear about all these, there are people that want to come to our country and we talk about the caravans, but 
you know, one part that the that the media I think really leaves out is why they're why they're fleeing their countries and and what is it that they really are searching for. And yeah. uh, you know, they just want to they just want a brighter future for their children and or escape persecution, things like that. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, it, we need. I feel like we need to have. We need to treat people as humans, not as statistics, because we're just looking at everyone and rounding them up. That was one thing I didn't like. Yeah. Donald Trump's campaign, you know, and he he would, you know, he referring, you know, just like these illegal immigrants, get them all out. It's like, okay, there's more to that. There's way more to that. Um, like yeah. you said, there's a reason that they had to come here. It wasn't just easy. I mean, it, it yeah, it has to be some sort of reason. So we need to at least mm-hmm. give them the option of, hey, you you can stay here if you do this this you know all like mm-hmm. yeah there's there's options you don't have to just yeah. report them all um like he would mm-hmm. like and, and, so, I'll, yeah. and i'll tell you this that most people that that are in that category where they're undocumented they want they want to do they want to do the right thing they want to go through the process they want to become uh, u.s citizens but we haven't given that opportunity yet yeah um, exactly and, they, and you know one of the one of the issues is that if they want to become a u.s citizen they got to go back to their country of origin Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have friends like their their country of origins in the Philippines, and they've never some of them have never been to the Philippines. They've never been to the Philippines. Yeah, and that's where they that but their their parents were on contract jobs. They were even in some cases working for the U.S. government. The contract ended, but they weren't the you know the children weren't granted U.S. citizenship. Maybe they were in a, they were born in another country, and so um, yeah, most of them they want to go through the process. They want to become U.S. citizens. They want that passport, but. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, just, we haven't given that 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 option yet. Yeah, it's just in not giving that option, and it's it's with that it would be so much better. Like they're like, oh, they're gonna they're doing bad stuff. It's like, well, the moment, like some of them are okay. There are some legal immigrants, and they're doing bad stuff here, and that's illegal, and they can be like some people need to be deported. That's truth. Um, some people need to be, but not everyone because some people are actually trying to contribute. So yeah, that option should be there. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on to the next major issue on here, which is healthcare for all. Uh, on your website, you said comprehensive healthcare coverage is important for disease prevention, ensuring our communities are healthy. Um, you said that your solutions are to expand Medicare coverage to everyone in the United States, put more emphasis on preventive and proactive care to prevent chronic illness, uh, modernize healthcare facilities around, around across the country, expand home care, and ensure the elderly, those with disabilities, and those in rehab have access to basic services at their own home. So tell me what kind of a policy do you agree with? You are you trying to push? Do you agree with you know, Bernie Sanders? Do you agree with someone else? Uh, what exactly bill do you support or plan? Yes, yeah. So I do support Medicare for all. I do support uh, you know Bernie Sanders. I've actually endorsed him for the presidency of the United States. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I got the the pleasure of meeting Bernie in San Francisco a few months That's ago. That's awesome. Yeah, he's he's a really nice guy. Um, his wife is uh, amazing. She's really nice. Um, I I would have to say that his Medicare for all plan is something that I would that I support. Um, there have also been a lot of debates about uh, having private insurance um, still within the existing system under a Medicare for all system. Now, Bernie Sanders wants to, and I believe Elizabeth Warren, they want to pretty much eradicate private insurance and yeah. only have a single payer, similar to that of Canada. Now, uh, in an ideal world, that would be great, uh, but uh, but there are people that do enjoy private insurance. I guess uh, for me, I would I would opt in for a Medicare for all policy, and just let and let the doctors bill Medicare, and then they can get their reimbursement or you know whatever they need, they can get it like that. Um, 
but uh, I do support, I mean, we would have to put into, we would have to debate the issue. We'd have to really talk to people about it, about whether or not private insurance and is going to be needed or is going to be included in the future Medicare for all bill. But yeah. I do support Medicare for all, um, getting rid of uh, private insurance. Um, you know, we should leave that up to uh, the voters, uh, the people to decide, but, you know, quite frankly, if you have a good, robust uh, single-payer system, there is no need for a uh, private insurer. Uh, also, too, I mean, I have, I had private, I have private insurance through my employer, and uh, you know, I had dental insurance, and I needed some a deep cleaning. Uh, it took them three months to get back, and then they finally said, "Oh, sorry, we under, I guess you know it's not covered." Uh, you know, so many families have to go through that, not just with dental, but imagine having a, uh, a, a procedure done that is yeah. necessary for them to feel better, for them to get back into the swing of things. And they say, oh, well, sorry, it's, it's out of network. Uh, you know, it's not covered. Um, you know, what do you do? Yeah. So there, there are it, issues like that. Yeah. It was something around 33,000 families each year um, mm -hmm. loses someone due to health care um, issues mm -hmm. not being covered. And that is so, so like, I'm not saying that like all like I'm supporting automatically. Oh yeah, it's Medicare for all. This like that's not automatically what we have to do. Of course, we have to look mm -hmm. at the options. But no doubt, I've always said I don't know what kind of plan I support yet. But all I know is that something needs to change. I don't know what it is yet, but yeah. like it's just something. And that is pretty clear to most Americans because I mean, in mm -hmm. polls and we see it's the number one issue by far. People are most concerned about. Um, and so it, people are try, are speaking up about this, and they do want to change. But our current government isn't doing anything about it, and I think and that's just—it's really—it's it's really a shame. Yeah, and I think like uh, I'll give like a little bit about why I um, am supporting a Medicare for all uh, piece of legislation, or why I would support it. And the reason being is because you know, working in healthcare, I see patients every day that suffer from kidney failure. And my father, who uh, is still ticking, he also suffers from kidney failure as well. And one of the main reasons so many people end up with kidney failure is because, one, they can't afford their health insurance. Two, they don't have health insurance. Or three, the co-payments and deductibles are too expensive to afford medication, uh, routine checkups, various doctor's appointments to see specialists. It's too expensive for them. So they, they delay care and they end up getting sick. And a lot of the patients end up with diabetes, hypertension, uh, peripheral vascular disease. And these can lead to things such as kidney failure, amputations, um, and then having to be dependent on insulin. And then if they can't afford the insulin, probably their kidneys will fail. They'll end up on dialysis. But yeah. one of the good things about dialysis is that uh, when you get diagnosed with, dial with kid uh, kidney failure, you automatically become eligible for Medicare. You can be at any age. So you can be 19 years old, you can get sick uh, with kidney failure, end up on dialysis, and now you're automatically eligible for Medicare, which is in, in essence Medicare for all. So the reason I would support having a Medicare for all plan for everybody, and everybody is covered by a national health plan, is because when you can't afford health insurance because the big comp the big pharmaceutical, or I should say not even the pharmaceutical companies, but the big insurance companies uh, don't want to pay for your care because, you know, it's out of network or 
uh, you still have to share 40% of the bill. Uh, the reason is because, so when they profit all this money, who's paying for the patients that were forgotten because they were counting their racks of, and their stacks of hundreds? It's the taxpayers because the people that are too sick because they couldn't afford private insurance end up getting uh, ill with a modality that in involves dialysis, then who has to pay for the bill? It's the taxpayers. And I'll give you some statistics. Less than 1% of the Medicare population is on dialysis, yet uh, a few years ago they did a study and, it, and over 10% of Medicare's budget goes to dialysis. And that's, and I'm sure today it's probably a bit more, probably 15% and the, and the population is growing and the cost is growing. So either way, we have to figure out a way to not only fund Medicare and make sure it's uh, preserved for future generations, but we also need to ensure that people who are, are underinsured and uninsured get the insurance and the health care that they need and that they're entitled to. So that's the reason why I support Medicare for all. Because at the end of the day, you have crappy health care plans. Yeah, you can get a good health care or a health care plan. It still doesn't cover enough. You end up sick. You don't get coverage. You don't get treatment because it's too expensive. You end up on dialysis. We're still paying for your, you know, ninety thousand dollar a year healthcare uh, under the Medicare Act. So by opening up Medicare, you know, getting everybody on it, we can prevent serious illnesses like diabetes, uh, hypertension, uh, kidney failure, and not only will it save everyone money, but it's also going to improve the quality of life of everybody in this country and uh, reduce the amount of people needing dialysis. Yeah. Um, you know. I hundred percent agree with that. That is, um, you know, I'm not, again, I like, I agree with definitely with the idea of whenever you're diagnosed with kidney failure, you're automatically, um, you know, eligible for Medicare. I think that's mm -hmm. a great idea. I've really looked into the Medicare for all that, that much. Um, but you know, I think that's a great idea alone. Just from what I know, that's, that's a great idea. And I agree with you on that, you know, that we, we need to have this access because of how, you know, like you said, there's three main issues of why people can't get healthcare and the chain of events that happens whenever you can't get healthcare. Um, yeah. you know, and as you said, like this, you can't afford the insulin and then you end up on dialysis. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's terrible. Um, so yeah, definitely agree with that part. Um, Moving on to your next one of your next big ones, um, education. So you yep. believe in universal child care and canceling student loan debt, um, and you said that it's important to develop and invest in, in an education program that meets the needs of our growing economy and population. This means investing in early child care for working families, a new and comprehensive education system that focuses on the 21st century and quality education that will benefit our communities. Uh, tell me, you know, why you believe in child, universal child care and canceling student loan debt and this policy in general. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with student loan debt. So uh, during the 2008 economic crisis, uh, my family lost everything. It was uh, the home, they lost the cars. Uh, pretty much we were left homeless. We ended up living in my grandmother's uh, living room for a few months until we can finally get on our feet. Um, I actually dropped out of college in uh, a number of years later to come back and help my family, um, to help them uh, get on their feet, and, and I've been doing that ever since, uh, especially with my father's declining health over the years. Now, 
my family had retirement plans. They had uh, savings accounts for education. And a lot of that stuff was wiped out uh, during the economic crisis. My mom's retirement was gone. Uh, the house was gone. Everything was gone. And if you remember uh, back in during that time, uh, that the people that got bailed out were the big banks. Uh, the, the housing industry was uh, bailed out. Um, the the big the big wigs on Wall Street were all bailed out, and they even used some of that bailout money to go enjoy themselves a nice vacation somewhere. I even remember uh, seeing that uh, on TV on the news. Now, if we if we are able to bail out the big banks when they need help, then we can do the same for everyday people here in the United States. Uh, one of the main uh, things that really hinders people from starting a business, from being, uh, you know, independent and going off and trying to start their careers, is not just healthcare. You know, healthcare coverage is something that um, that that keeps people at one job. But the other thing is student loan debt, and I think we need to be able to just to start a clean slate, get rid of it, and then make uh, public institutions uh, uh, tuition free as well as cooperating and working with uh, local trade unions and uh, local uh, vocational schools, especially at the community level and the pub that are publicly funded to train uh, young people, not just in area finance, not just in the sciences or in literature, but also in trade jobs like plumbing, uh, like uh, to be a CNA, a certified nurse's assistant, or to for other uh, avenues like that in trade school. Uh, that's something that I do support. But if we want to ensure that young people can afford a home so that they can, or that they want to maybe one day have a family, but they can't because they're thinking about all the student loan debt because they want it to become the best uh, elementary school teacher that they wanted to be. And they, they, now they're an elementary school teacher living their dream, but they have all of this debt. Uh, I think we, I think we uh, as a nation, we need to uh, cancel student loan debt Let's get people able to afford homes. Let's get them to want to start a family without the burden of having debt. And let's, let's create a robust education system that continues to train, uh, train and educate people in different trades and different uh, areas. Yeah, that honestly, I think, you know, I think we need to do something about the student loan debt. I'm not quite sure, you know, I mean, maybe not, it, I mean, if you're not eliminated, oh, you can. Uh, someone on my last one had an idea. I forgot what it, it was. Something about canceling part of this payment for it. Um, it basically making it cheaper and more affordable because it's going up every single year. Um, we yeah. We're that. And so, yeah, we definitely need to do something about it. Um, are you saying yeah, something? There's actually a, there's actually another issue with that too. Is that the tuition prices are extremely outrageous and. There was a study done, I believe, at Colgate University. They did an audit, and it showed that what some of the stuff that they put on their expense sheets, like you're talking tens of millions of dollars for undisclosed, uh, you know, spending. Some of it was uh, was uh, uh, lobbyists and uh, consultants paying millions of dollars for that. And if you really look at the cost of education, and they they put it towards uh, a single year or uh, of tuition, it should actually only equal about eight to eleven thousand dollars. And a lot of these institutions are charging 
you know, quadruple the price. And it's a good question. Where is the money going? Uh, how are they spending that money? And I think that needs to be uh, more, more regulated as well. Uh, yeah. Especially when a lot of pe- tax dollars and uh, con- uh, con- uh, nonprofit contributions are going to these particular uh, institutions and they're out spending the money lavishly on consultants and parties and things like that. I think uh, we need to look into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, we, like I said, I mean, I'm not quite sure what, but like it, it, the prices the prices and the student loan debt, something has got to change. Um, so yeah. go ahead, can you explain to us more about, you know, your, um, your ch- we're talking about the universal child care, yeah, child care, yeah, and, and the te- and all this. Uh, so, can you explain that for us? Yeah, so um, I believe that we need to uh, utilize. Uh, we should act. We need to create something like um, so. The options program here in California. Um, I'm not sure if that you know that's actually. I'm sure other states have the same thing, but what it does is it pretty much gives uh, pre-K uh, children you know, the ability to attend school while parents, uh, you know, are either uh, at work or doing whatever they have to do. But we do need to, we do need to create a universal child care program in the United States. Um, it can be based off of income. I don't see how that would, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, a percentage, this is up for debate. Uh, some people have say it's, it should be completely free. Other people say, it should be resemble more of the French model, where like in France, uh, it goes the percentage of income. Um, I'm open to debate, but I think that there needs to be some kind of universal childcare. Um, that way, when families and uh, parents want to go to work, or if, let's say some one of the fa- one of the parents wants to go back to school and contribute to the family, contribute to society, they have the ability to uh, go to school. Uh, knowing that their children are going to be learning, that they're safe, and they shouldn't have to worry about uh, about anything else other than focusing on improving their education, or even you know even at work, trying to trying to do a good job at work, uh, getting back into the workforce. So uh, I just think that there needs to be a childcare program accessible to working families uh, and low income people uh, to ensure that they have everything necessary to have a good day at work or to improve their lives and, and expand their education. Yeah, you know, making it just so they can't have access some way, you know, being able to get that education. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Um, yeah, and it, it could be federal funding distributed to, you know, state and local municipalities. Uh, it could be a, a combination of the two. But um, I'm open. I'm open to having these discussions in the future with, uh, you know, with leaders about this issue. But it needs it needs to get done. You know, like during when we were in a time of crisis, when we were at war, they were able to have childcare for children uh, for the parents working in the factories. Uh, you know, yeah, we're not at war, but we have a pretty uh, significant and uh, you know big workforce. Uh, we should be able to provide child care for our workforce. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like just, we, like, I've, I've always thought this. I'm like, okay, so we don't have to make everything free, maybe. Like, if you don't agree with that, that's okay. 
yeah. making things more affordable, making sure they have, they can get it somehow yeah. um, is important because we can't just get it where people only for the people who can afford it. Because I mean, that's, we need to make sure people can afford it. That's what we need yeah. to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I agree with making it more affordable and making it more accessible. Um, so the last thing that I want to go over today, um, mm-hmm. since we don't have time to go over everything else, um, I want, can you talk about your criminal justice reform plan? Because that's the, mm-hmm. one of the last things on your site. So can you just explain to us, mm-hmm. you want to end cash bail, and, uh, you want to end incarceration for nonviolent crimes and mm-hmm. for profit prisons and end the prohibit, prohibition of cannabis. You already explained the last one, but explain all the other mm-hmm. ones. Yeah, so ending cash bail is just pretty simple. I mean, uh, you know, we need to get rid of the system. Unless it's for like an extremely violent crime. A lot of times people are imprisoned or they're kept in custody. And unfortunately, it's more like you're guilty until proven innocent. Um, A lot of people, you know, of course we hear you're innocent until proven guilty. But especially for people in the community that I live in, or even I have friends that live in other communities, um, they would disagree. It's more like you're guilty until uh, proven innocent. And we've seen a lot of that going on, not only in California, but all across the country. So ending cash bail would be, uh, you know, it would be beneficial, uh, especially for, you know, people that, uh, you know, are low income. And, you know, maybe they were doing, they may, they, maybe they made the wrong decision. Uh, but I don't think um, it should be based off of, you know, what you can pay to, to get bailed out or anything like that. Um, in terms of criminal justice reform, so what we need to do is one of, among one of the things is to legalize marijuana and expunge uh, previous convictions. Um, I think that is something that we have to do. But when I, when I speak of criminal justice reform, you know, we can't be imprisoning people for nonviolent crime, uh, things like that. So there, there are a couple of things that, that have to, why people commit crimes. Uh, one of them is simply mental health. Uh, some people are just, they're on drugs, they have a mental, they have mental health, uh, you know, diagnosis, and unfortunately, they, they don't get treatment, or they don't have adequate health care to get treatment, we don't have the facilities for it. The second thing is simply poverty. People are living in poverty, and they want to provide for their families, maybe they make the decision of, you know, stealing something, or they make some kind of decision to sell tobacco illegally, and that can get them in trouble. You know, it all stems from pretty much the same issues. And if we want to, uh, if we want to improve and reform criminal our criminal justice system, then we have to provide uh, better ways for people to make an honest living. We have to provide uh, adequate health care, adequate child care for people. That way, people don't feel tempted or have to have the need to make these sacrifices and that are illegal in order to provide for their families. Yeah. So to me, you know, criminal justice reform overall uh, is pretty much uh, increasing, uh, you know, uh, the amount of, uh, you know, funding for, to put everybody into a, uni- uh, into a healthcare for all system, such as Medicare for all, uh, and ensuring that, you know, raising the minimum wage will help people. But for the most part, you know, in terms of criminal justice reform, you know, we have to legalize marijuana, expunge those, those convictions, and then tax the money on the marijuana. That way we can improve our communities at the local level. That means rebuilding our roads, uh, improving our, our educational facilities, things like that. 
Yeah. And that's, that's to me, that's true tr- criminal justice reform. It's not just like, you know, you know, whiting out some of the laws and rewriting some of the laws or taking something out, but it's actually having a robust uh, social policy that uh, benefits everybody so that nobody feels the need to have to steal or to do anything like that, uh, you know, to provide for their families. And also touching on the issue of mental health, uh, I do believe that uh, we need to uh, erect a multiple, mul- uh, multiple mental health facilities all across, um, all across the state and the country. That way people can get adequate treatment and we should do that under a Medicare for all uh, plan. Yeah, um, the criminal justice reform is honestly one of my biggest things because it's a terrible system we have currently. Um, I, yeah. I haven't looked into that much in cash bill. From what I've heard, I agree with it. Um, I would end incarceration for nonviolent crimes as well, and I would also end for-profit prisons. Um, we have a really yeah, yeah. bad system right now. It really is not good at all. Um, it's probably one of the highest things on my list. And see, most of the things that you – my previous all things that you just said right there – I have to agree with as well, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I really like your vision on a lot of things. I like how you know your facts before we pass this plan, like you know what you're talking about. You have experience, especially in healthcare, you know, like mainly, like that's like the place you have experience and that gives you a real, you know, experience and knowledge. And I mean, it makes people trust you more because I mean, we need so much people like that that actually have seen it firsthand who could work there. Um, you know, I saw that you worked there for like five years, I think. Um, that's yeah, just going on it, six. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Um, we need more people that actually know the kind of like how you said at the beginning. We need representatives who know the people and who've lived here and stuff. It's kind of the same thing yeah. with this stuff. We need people who have seen it firsthand and who know the cost. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I think that's really, really awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the other things too, that I, that I've been, when I go canvassing, we don't have it on our website, but, um, you know, one thing that I hear a lot of elected officials and politicians, they talk about, you know, having a good quality of life and they talk about family values. And one of the things that I always remember growing up, uh, so my father had a kidney transplant for a little while and then it failed. But one thing that we did after he got his transplant was as a whole family, we went, we got into the car and uh, my mother drove us to San Francisco. We drove all along PCH and we got to stay in San Francisco for a week. It was like the only real vacation our family ever had. And my mom had just gotten a promotion at the time. It was like 2000, I want to say it was like 2005, 2004, 2005. And one thing that I want to promote is families being able to take a vacation. So one thing that I, I would assume that is pretty bipartisan is that we should create either, and I've called for a tax credit but some may argue a tax deduction may be uh, better for this, but it's going to be a travel tax credit, which gives families, uh, working families to deduct up to, let's say a thousand dollars for taking a vacation on their annual tax uh, refund or their, you know, their tax statement. They can, when they do their taxes, they can put that just like when they spend money on uniforms and spend money on education stuff for their children, they can actually write off a vacation for their families. And it encourages people to take a vacation. It encourages people to engage in these family values that everyone talks about and loves. And it also boosts the economy in local areas or at the airports, things like that. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that I want to see in the future one day is uh, we want to, let's encourage people to take a vacation, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's something I've been hearing a lot about lately, you know, paid vacations and things like that. Yeah, Yeah. people need to be able to have the vacation. That's just, it's truth right there. I can definitely agree with that. Um, Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for coming on today. It was a pleasure having you. Um, Great conversation. Uh, Anytime, anytime. I'd love to have you on in the future one day. Um, I think this was great. And so, yeah, I just want to thank you. Thank you, everyone who listened. Um, So, yeah, just, just thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. And also, too, in the future, I'm, gonna, I'm actually part of a coalition here in California. Really? We're going to be launching a ballot measure that's, oh, wow. going to, that's going to ensure that dialysis patients are not uh, discriminated against, that corporations can't put fear into closing clinics uh, because patients speak out about poor uh, patient care and poor uh, working conditions uh, in their facilities. Uh, so I'll be doing this. We actually have a meeting this Sunday uh, regarding it. And so we'll be in contact. Uh, it'd be great. Maybe we can yeah. talk about uh, this ballot measure. Uh, That's great. It's going to be in the 2020 election in California. That's great, honestly. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to talk about that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just thank you so much. Anytime you come on here, I uh, loved it. Great conversation. All y'all go check out his yeah. website, Emmanuel Gonzalez. Um, you know, go check out his campaign. Even if you're not from his state, uh, or his district, still try and support him if you like him. Um, you know, go check him out, give him a follow. Um, you know, it, it was just, it was an amazing. He has some really cool views. Um, I can't wait to talk to you again. Cool, man. Thank you. All right. Bye.